It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the 37 buys to my PFL pay-per-view, handsome Nick Baraccia. Nick, that intro always has me hyped, man. It's good to be on with you this week. How are you? Yeah, man. Stanislav, uh, I'm okay. I'm full of whiskey and hot dogs, but, you know, ready for my next fight. So, Nick, Nick, you've been historically like very fragrant with your money. You've thrown it at, at Dana White time and again. Uh, $70 a piece for his pay-per-views, whether they're, you know, really good or just medium. Did you throw 50 bucks at PFL this last weekend? No. The biggest upset in MMA history. Nick, she was ranked like number three pound for pound, according to some people. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Although it was nice that Jeremy Stevens got beat again because he's been saying some stupid shit. What's he been saying? Um, I haven't heard what he's been saying. Uh, you know, if I, like, you know, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be like Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy. like one, For you sure. know, he's, he's just, uh... He's just Sean Stricklining off about how he's a psychotic killer. It's lucky that he's got this to fall back on. Um, <laughs> to, to fall, his, his entire career to fall back on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's at an age now where, and, and that 135 or 145, 155-pound weight division, you know, you got all those miles. You've got his age. He's He's got to be in his late 30s by now, right? Like, you're not going to be doing too well. No, sad for Melvin Marais, though, who got finished again. Man, after doing really well for a couple of rounds... I mean, it, his chin is just wrecked. He's got to be getting rocked and sparring all the time, Nick. Like, I'm not sure how he thinks this is an okay thing to do. He's got to stop. He's got to stop, Nikolai. He's got to stop. It's kind of like how I feel about uh, you making fight picks. Actually, Nick, you did win. The, you did edge me in the last couple of events. You you edged me by two points in the uh, event a couple of weeks ago, and then from that terrible card two weekends ago where Derek Lewis had to pull out, you edged me by a point. And Nick, that was mostly because. My, my my pick got screwed. Let, let's let's not get ourselves. We we both know and we don't have to get into this because this is not exactly uh, this is not exactly elite MMA. But we both know Jalgazuma Golov beat Charles Johnson Nikolai. We both know. He retired. He retired after that loss. Did he? Wait, are you serious? Yeah. Man, that really sucks. That's that's a real fucking shame. That's a talented guy. He was never going to be champion, but that's a top top eight mainstay for sure. That that's a shame, man. That's I'm really sorry to hear that. I hope that he has. Something back, something to fall back on. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't imagine what it might be, but man, I hope he has something to fall back on. Maybe coaching. Nikolai, we're gonna get into and break down UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Holland. This for a fight night, Nick, is actually a good one. And you know how it's a good one, Nick? It's because it's gonna be held in front of a crowd. Um, it's gonna be in Florida, and we're gonna uh, have, yeah. we're, we're gonna have that energy of the crowd there, which which I'm into, man. It's it's a different dynamic. I mean, the only thing I think that brings more energy than a UFC crowd is like Mark Zuckerberg alone making, you know, making different emoji faces throughout the event to show uh, that just, he is in fact human. I just hate the Apex event so much. I'm not a huge fan of Florida, but you know that's good that it's in front of the crowd. It's just it's gonna it's a long one though, 15 fights. I feel like there are a lot of people who they probably promised they would get in there before the end of the year. Um, so yeah, we're, yeah we're, right. we're, but also we're at, at this time of year, I think you got to stack them because you're gonna have. Pullouts for many reasons, including COVID, including just, you know, probably the regular old flu. So the UFC, I think, is kind of hedging their bet and making sure that they end up with like 11 or 12 fights on an event, even if a bunch pull out. We still have yeah. a few days to go before the event, so entirely possible that we lose some more of these fights in the meantime. 
And it's not, yeah, and there's there's a few good veteran matchups, and it's not, there's some names on here, there's some there's some sad fights, but I'm curious about a bunch of the outcomes. Do you want to, uh, you want to get right, right into it? Yeah, I, let's, so let's dive into see it. See if I can, if I can recover 17 points on this card. Yeah, man, I, you're 17 and a half points behind, but you're slowly closing that gap, man. You p- keep picking up these, uh, these two pointers and, and I think it'll work out for you. So as most of our listeners know, we take turns picking fighters on the upcoming UFC card. Uh, we tally up the points at the end of the week. Uh, correct pick gets you one point. An underdog of plus 150 or above that gets a win for you gets you two points. An underdog of plus 250 or above scores you three points on our tally. So you can literally triple up if you can if you can find the right opportunities. And Nick, you need some of those right opportunities. I have the first pick this week because I kind of feel like you botched last week by not picking Jack Della Magdalena, who, by the way, is just a, just a ferocious, scary, scary. I mean, human you could being. say that, but I got my first pick right. But anyway, go ahead. That's true. That, that's fair. Nikolai, my first pick is going to be in the flyweight matchup between Matt Schnell and Mateos Nikolau. Matt Schnell is exciting as hell. His hands are extremely fast. His submissions are really good, but his durability is not good at all, even though he's able to survive through some of these tough moments with the experience that he's kind of put together over the last several years. His ability to make good decisions in there is not ideal either, right? All he needed to do was to get a takedown in his last fight, and he wouldn't have been damn near knocked out multiple times. But he didn't get a take. Uh, he didn't go for a takedown early enough, Nick. He he took so much damage on his way to that takedown in that top position finish. Even though he had a huge advantage in the grappling department in that matchup, he doesn't have it here, man. He doesn't have the advantage in the stand-up. He doesn't have the advantage in the grappling. I don't think he has the advantage in the wrestling against Mateus Nikolaou. He's a legitimate top top flight flyweight, 18-2-1 record overall, right? Coming back to the UFC after being cut years ago, after one loss to Dustin Ortiz, Nick, and he's rattled off a bunch of wins since, came back, beat Manel Kopp by split decision. Manel Kopp is a really good fighter, another elite guy, another guy that's going to be in that top five, presumably a flyweight uh, for the for the forthcoming future. David Dvorak is an extremely impressive win. He dominated that man, and I think both you and I picked David Dvorak in that one. Um, Tim Elliott, he did well against as well, and Tim Elliott can make just about anyone look bad. I like Mateus Nikolaou here. I think that this is his time to shine. Uh, he can get an exciting decision, but there's very little reason why he shouldn't get a finish here. He's got, he's got the goods to, to look really good in this one, this 29-year-old kid who's, who's kind of really only entering his prime. I'm a, I'm, big mark, I'm a big mark of his. I think he's got real potential. Uh, I'm with you. I guess, that's, I guess I think that's an okay first pick. Um, What's your first pick? You know, my first pick's going to be a little controversial because I think there are some odds, unba- misbalances on this card that are blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy I want to take who's over plus 400, but I think I should get more than two points for that. I should get four points for that. Or do I get only do I get three? Like, what do I get for plus 400? Well, pl- plus 250 and above is the only thing we've settled on. I, you know, I, I think I think we'll keep it there. But who who do you have? Is it is it uh, Brian Barberina? Yeah, I think. Yeah. But I really think it's worth more than two points. Um, I agree with you. Um, uh, l- let's make that one worth three points, Nikolai. This one okay. time. I don't know if we'll make it an official rule. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just rewatched this fight with Lawler, and I know Raleigh Lawler, Robbie Lawler is a bit diminished, but, um, I mean, Barbarina really had him huffing and puffing, and his, Barbarina is big, he's pretty durable, um, he keeps a, he keeps an insane pace, and he's got good wrestling, and I think Dos Anjos is really hittable, and Barbarina looks, looked big, he looked very big to me against Lawler. And RDA is a guy that's floated around different weight classes. I think this is a tough matchup for RDA because Barbarina is going to pressure um, the same as he does, except I think he's bigger and he and I think he hits harder also. 
um, and the way he used the way he used elbows and forearms in that Lawler fight. I don't I don't see RDA getting easy takedowns. Um, I think this is, I think I don't know I don't understand why this is at plus four why the why twenty twenty two almost twenty twenty three RDA is a minus five fifty or minus five seventy five favorite against a, a, a well rounded big you know big welterweight who hits hard. Like, I think I have a theory as to why RDA is the favorite, but to be this big of a favorite, I, I would. I'm think not. That I'm not crazy, right? It's. A, it's. I think it's a, insane. It does like, seem too. It definitely seems too wide. Uh, I do, again, I think it makes sense for RDA to be the favorite. It does not make sense for it to be this far apart. That's insane. I'm quickly looking at it here. He started as a minus three twenty five, which makes a lot more sense to me, right? Like if if you're going to if if you're gonna if you're gonna put him somewhere like even at this point plus three twenty five makes more sense to me than freaking. Plus, and uh, I'm sorry, minus three twenty-five versus minus five fifty. That's insanity. Yeah, I could. To- I can. I mean, minus seven twenty. In one, is that what you're seeing book. somewhere? In, in My, yeah, minus minus seven sixty-nine. Like, do they do they not watch like Barbarina's fights? I. Here's, I, I don't. Here's I don't think, I think this is a, a cakewalk matchup at all for no. for RDA. I don't think it's a cakewalk either, and I think you're making the right call. By the way, plus 250 does get you three points uh, already, okay. so, so so you're covered on that. That's not an exception to the rule. Uh, but here's what I will say. I think the biggest factor here is RDA's five-round experience, his conditioning. If you look at his last several opponents, right, they're pretty elite, and, and he's not like Rafael Fiziev. He Yeah, he lost the first three rounds. Most people lose the first two or three rounds to Rafael Fiziev. He started to take over in the fourth, and he got finished in the fifth. And granted, that was in July, right? Is he fully recovered against a really hard hitter and Brian Barbarina? I don't know. R- it's uh, also Rahina, a, th- uh-huh. a three-round. It's also this is a three-round fight, and like I've got no. And I believe that Barbarina can keep can keep his pace and hurt people into you know through three rounds. That that guy is a listen. He's not the most perfect fighter in the world, but he's a fucking horse. He never stops trying to win. And uh, and he maintains power and can do damage late into fights. Well, let's look at it this way, right? Let's look at his last several fights for Barbarina. He outlanded Robbie Lawler 147-81. to 81. Um, Robbie Lawler, who got dominated by most people that he's fought over the last several years, not named Nick Diaz, coming off of a, three, I don't know, five-year hiatus, right? Brian Barbarina uh, beat Matt Brown. A lot of people thought he should have lost that decision. Gave up five takedowns to Matt Brown. Gave up four takedowns to UFC debuting on short notice Darian Weeks, who outstruck him 118 to 108. Darian Weeks, who has not been able to pick up a UFC win unless I'm... Has he picked one up since? I don't think he... No, he's 0-3 in the UFC. In his UFC debut on short notice, outstruck him 118 to 108, Darian Weeks did, and landed four takedowns. Jason Witt, he lost to him by majority decision, but he landed eight takedowns on Barbarina. Anthony Ivey, another sub, you know, barely UFC level fighter, right, although so he's, maybe, he's a pretty maybe, good one. Five Maybe I'm over, overrating the fact that Barbarina was a wrestler and comes from a wrestling gym. Definitely. Um, I mean, he's, his, his wrestling in MMA is not good, let's face it. And the difference between, I think, some of these guys like Matt Brown and Darian Weeks and, 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 uh, and Anthony Ivey is that if these guys take down Barbarina, I'm sorry, if, if RDA take down Barbarina, he's probably going to hold him down. Now, do I think that these odds are worth taking a shot on? Absolutely, man. All else being the same, I'm favoring RDA. But with these odds, with the size difference, with the fact that Barbarina can do real damage and RDA is coming off a knockout loss, I think you're making the right pick. I, th- I think you're making the right pick for three points. Um, and uh, I don't fault you for doing it this early. 
My next pick. I actually thought you might pick RDA like early here because you won't wouldn't necessarily see the opportunity. But I'm glad you're seeing it. I, I think there's definitely an opportunity. But again, the takedown defense is what makes it difficult for me to pick him. RDA would have to be really past it if you look at RDA's last few opponents. They're again pretty high level, man. Paul Felder who beat Hanato Maikano who beat both of those decisive wins, even though the Felder fight was the split decision, right? Rafael Fiziev, granted he lost him, but Fiziev could be. Like championship type, uh, championship opportunity yeah, worthy. I, I'm, at this I'm point. thinking so much of the si- of the size is like I'm thinking, yeah. you know, I'm Maybe thinking about a lot because Barbarina just looked big in the in the Lawler fight. It could be he looks big against post Usada Lawler, but um, no, you're 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 making some fair points about his size and all that. Let me quickly uh, look at the stats here. Uh, five eight to six feet. That is significant. Two inch uh, reach advantage for uh, Barbarina. So again. Should the odds be this wide? Absolutely not. Should uh, should RDA be somewhat of a favorite? Yeah, probably. Um, you're right. This is an opportunity. I think I think throwing some throwing some money on Barbar right now. I wonder what he, what he would be by decision or by knockout because I think either and there's um, there's some some sports books like FanDuel that give you the opportunity to bet on two possible outcomes. I would look into that by either decision or knockout by Barbarina. Call it a throwaway. Throw twenty bucks on him. You're probably going to win. You know, as much as as much as uh, eighty or hundred for uh, actually more than I would think more than a hundred. A straight bet on him would probably net you about a hundred. Um, there's just there's opportunities here for sure, and maybe a straight bet is the way to go, uh, given these insane odds. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Darren Elkins and Jonathan Pierce. Darren Elkins is known as the kind of guy that gets these kind of uh, young up-and-comers that aren't really ready for it out of there, right? He's he, he outpaces you. He he takes all the damage early if you've got the damage to dish out. And then he'll end up drowning you later in the fight uh, where where you don't have the conditioning to keep going. You don't have the conditioning to keep defending yourself, to keep defending his takedowns. Jonathan Pierce... He thrives in that, though. The guy does not get tired. He has an extremely high pace. Yeah, can he be taken down? Can, can he give up? You know, not. Can he give up position to to a good grappler? Yes. And Darren Elkins has the possibility to do that. But this point of Darren Elkins' career, against this point in in uh, Jonathan Pierce's career, Jonathan Pierce is at the height of his confidence. He is getting guys the fuck out of there. He's beaten some like pretty formidable opponents and looking really good in the process. 13-4 overall. doesn't look amazing, right? But he beat Kaikamaka III, Omar Morales, Christian Rodriguez, and Makwan Amrikani. All these guys, uh, I would think most of these guys probably were favorites against him. Let me see. Um, definitely definitely a, a big underdog, t- plus 245 underdog against Kaikamaka. He was, uh, I'm pretty sure he was an underdog. Let me see. Against Morales, he was a plus 135 slight dog. Against Christian Rodriguez, he was actually a big favorite. Uh, beat Christian Rodriguez. Christian Rodriguez wasn't ready for the UFC really at, at that point, even though he's a really good fighter. I think minus 185 uh, odds favorite against Makwan Amerikani. So uh, I think people are tr- starting to see that he's the truth, that, that he is worth uh, being the favorite in these matchups, and that's why he's a big favorite here. I like Jonathan Pierce to drown down in Oakland. We've seen Jonathan Pierce get caught early uh, in his UFC debut against um, against Joe Lazon. It's not like Darren Elkins has that kind of finishing ability, man. He's just he's just going to grind. He's going to take damage early, and he's hoping to take over late. Jonathan Pierce is not going to let him take over late. I like Jonathan Pierce here. I'm with you on that pick. Um, the question for me now is do I just keep going underdogs? Because there's a lot of interesting dogs on this card. Um, do you see opportunities? I do. Let me go back to the fight odds to see. If there's anything that gets me a little extra, extra here. Yeah, this one's probably a bit irresponsible, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Mark Diakisi's had success lately. You know, he came over as this flashy English kickboxer, and he's won a bunch of fights as a 
pretending to be an American wrestle boxer, and it's it's very weird, um, but it's been working for him. Uh, the question is, you know, Mike, Michael Johnson does have a wrestling pedigree, but he is the guy that gets taken down. Is Mark Diakisi going to be able to take down Michael Johnson? Um, also, how is if is if they do trade, how's Daikisi going to stand up? Michael Johnson makes every fight close, and he, I believe in his last fight, he had a, uh, let me go back and look at that. Like, Michael Johnson's last fight, was, oh, he lost it, he lost, he, he beat Alan Petrik, and then he lost a awesome split decision to Jamie Malarkey. He's lost five of six. God, he's lost a lot of fights. He's lost five of six, eight of eleven. You know, going back to his Khabib's loss. I mean, holy cow! Yeah, in the last, in the last seven years, he is, poof, one five, three and five, three and nine, four and nine. He's four and ten. Um, that's pretty, pretty rough since his last. Damn, like, he had four. He had a four fight win streak. But, like, he's always competitive. He's always in there. And he's usually fighting, like, really good guys. I mean, his losses are to Josh Emmett t- recently. Diego Moises. Like, I thought that he did, he did enough to beat Stevie Ray. Um, you know, he lost to Gagey, Nurmagomedov. He beat Poirier. Like, these are... I, I think... I'll take a fucking flyer on Michael Johnson to knock out Mark Diakisi. I think Diakisi's been sneaking, sneaking around the division. Sneaking around with this wrestling style, and uh, I think I think Michael I think he's going to end up boxing with Michael Johnson, and I think Michael Johnson he doesn't have the kicking game that Daikisi has, but I think he's got better hands. I think he's going to knock knock an Englishman out. That's what's going to happen, and I'm going to get two more points. I think it's possible. I think even if he wins a decision, that's entirely possible as well. And you're right. At these odds, you got to pick Michael Johnson. Even in his last fight where he lost that decision, he should have won that decision. On MMA decisions, almost everyone had him winning that fight against uh, against uh, Malarkey. Malarkey. Right? So, so, like, he is in his best form. He's showing three-round cardio against both Alan Patrick, although that one was a finish in the second round. But against Jamie Malarkey, he was looking good in that third round. Um, so, you know, he, he, it seems like he's maturing and showing up a lot of those weaknesses that he's shown in the past. And so I agree with you. I think you're taking the right flyer. And I'm more confident in Michael Johnson's odds uh, in this matchup than I am in uh, Barbarina's odds. Although both, like, like the odds are just so flipped. They're so lopsided. I think you're making the right call. You have the potential to pick up six points just on these two picks, Nick. So I, I think you're I definitely making some good I know what I'm here. doing, man. I'm and angling. I, and, and, I, and I like it, Nick. I, I like you making this comeback because I was going to make this pick pretty soon if you hadn't. So props to you on, on picking up that opportunity. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between... This is where things get a little bit tougher. I think I've got to take Scott Holtzman to beat Clay Guida. Clay Guida, he can drown people. He can take people down. Scott Holtzman has pretty good uh, kind of improved takedown defense. He's physically powerful. He's He hits with damage. And what we've seen his weakness to be is that he can get caught, right? It's not like Clay Guida is going to catch him in either a submission or a or a knockout. He's largely a decision machine. Um, he's you know never been known as a finisher throughout his career. And Scott Holtzman, like, again, physically, he's going to be the bigger, more powerful man. Losing to Benil Darius and Mateos Gamro should not make you this close in odds to Clay Guida. So uh, I think there's there's some value at Scott Holtzman at minus 152. I would definitely invest in him as well. Uh, I like that. I like that. I'm going to keep going with these underdog picks, man. I, Let's go. 
uh, for a plus two, I'm going to take the the recent performer uh, Roman Delitz to beat uh, Jack Hermanson. I think this is a, I think this is a really good fight. I know Delitz is on short notice. I don't think based on the way he fights, I don't think it'll matter. I think this I think you're going to get the same guy um, that shows up. But I think I think it's going to be a really interesting one. I think the 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 way that he mixes things up, the way that he transitions his grappling and his striking, like Hermanson's very good, but I just see Hermanson being on his back foot uh, for the three rounds here. I think it's a I think it's a very competitive fight when they're clinched up or when they're grappling, but I think Delitz is going to create enough space to to land shots. He's one of those guys who hurts his, he hurts you when he touches you. And I, th- I think this is gonna. I think this is gonna be an ugly. Uh, it's a fight that's gonna make you tired to watch, but I think that Delitz has has momentum. I think that he. I think Jack Hermanson knows his knows his own ceiling. I think he's been in there with the best. I think Roman Delitz is kind of a a man that will not be denied right now, and is, is sort of crazy. Um, I see him, you know, I see him like winning a decision that's pretty. It's close, but pretty ugly to watch. Nick, this is how you make up a 17-point disparity, man. You're making good picks. You're making good decisions. I would have probably taken the flyer uh, had I had I gotten to him first on Roman Delitz as well. Look, Jack Hermanson, all else being equal, I'm going to favor Jack Hermanson. I think that he has got... He, he's got more craft. He's got more experience. He's, he has the ability to make those little minute adjustments and, and decent decisions at long range to outwork a guy who's on the come up, who doesn't have the, the craft that Hermanson has acquired over the last several years. I think like a lot of people tend to under, they tend to underestimate Jack Hermanson, although the odds are giving him, I think, his due props in, in this position. Um, I agree with you on the two points on Roman Delitz, though. I, I think like he's just a bruiser, man. Like He's got really good grappling, so he's not going to get out-grappled. He's not going to get just flash-submitted by Jack Hermanson, which Jack Hermanson's capable of. He's probably not going to get taken down by Hermanson, who's not going to be the stronger man in this matchup. In fact, Hermanson tends to struggle against these physically stronger, bigger men like uh, like Sean Strickland, like Marvin Vittori, Jared Cannonier. Granted, these are top-level middleweights. Don't get me wrong, but it's the physically powerful, explosive men that tend to do well against Jack Hermanson, as long as they're in their Prime. Obviously, uh, Jacare would be in kind of a, a a an exception to that rule. But you know, Roman Delitz is no Edmund Shabazian. He's no Chris Curtis, and that Chris Curtis belongs at 170, and isn't just a bruising monster that Roman Delitz is. I tend to agree with you on Roman Delitz, but again, odds being equal, I would have picked Jack Hermanson here. I would have edged him by decision. I think you're making the right call on this opportunity, Nick. Again, in your last three picks, you have the opportunity to pick up eight points. I think that is huge. I, I, I think you're making taking some flyers. Even let's say that so, let's uh, say that only one of seven, these works. Seven points. Seven points. Uh, three, three points. Bar- What's that? Three for Barbarina. Two for Johnson. Two for Delete. Nick, I see Johnson at plus two fifty on a couple of books. You're getting three points for oh. that. That's huge. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you have you have the opportunity. Like I think you're making some good calls because let's say let's say Nick that only one of these picks works out. Worst case, it's Roman Delete's right. You picked up two points from three picks. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Let's see. One of the other picks works out. Three points from three picks. You're in, you're in a great position. So so. No, I, I, I mean I looked at. Calls. Thanks. I just I looked at I looked at these odds and was just like this seems crazy to me. Same you know here. I'm usually I'm usually conservative with this and I'm not trying to be like stupid. I yeah. just look at I look at they seem weird. I'm glad you think they're weird too and it's just not me being an idiot. 
No, no, I, I, I think again, given these odds, given these odds, given the point disparity, you got to take these flyers, and these are great. This event is a great opportunity, I think, for you to close that gap. You literally can bring it within ten points uh, at the end of this event, and, I, and I'm excited about the prospect of of, uh, of you nipping at my heels, Nick. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Gennaro Valdez and Nat- Nathan Levy. It's hard to trust Nathan Levy because. He's not uber durable. He tends to get tired, but he pushes through tired, which I like. Um, he's got a really good kicking game, kind of a traditional martial arts background, but he's also like kicking at takedowns. He can hold top position and, and, and do some work from there and score points. Gennaro Valdez is mainly just kind of a, just a brawler. And I think Natan Levy has like the range kicking game. He has the ability to take, get takedowns against Valdez, who's not going to have very good takedown defense here uh, to, to, to win a decision. That, you know, Natan Levy has, you know, had seen success at the UFC level, whereas Gennaro is just kind of entry level and, and 0-1 in the UFC. So I like Natan Levy to pick up a win here. I like that you're, uh, you're going with your tribe's mate. Um... Oh, you you think this is a Jewish thing, Nicolette? I, mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. You do, you, you, you do have trouble not picking Italians, though. I definitely. Well, their Italian fighters are so bad. You never heard me be like Alessio Sicaro for nine points. No, um, maybe that's. I think it's mostly because he he like you know. Or, Lu, or Louis, Louis, time we started this podcast. Luigi Fiorentino. Hey, I like that guy. I really like that guy. I, I was uh, legitimately like following his career for a little bit there. Uh, he got lit up by. Um, Diego Sanchez on the on Diego's championship, uh, that hit, that you know, run yeah, at 155. And his, that's right. Long time, many, 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 many years ago. Oh, I'm just going to keep bullshitting. I'm not going <laughs> to um, Oh, boy. Looking at all this stuff. Do I keep... You know, fuck it. I'll go with another underdog pick. Whoa. I, this is a little crazy. And this one I have, le- I have less faith in. Because Eric Anders is slow as fuck. He is, yeah, the sl- he is the slowest. He's the slowest guy around. Um, and Kyle Dawkins can is is good, but Eric Anders is going to be stronger and I think more durable. I did not like how quickly Dawkins folded um, in his last fight. And and you know I think Anders is one of those guys that can hurt you when he touches you. And I think for that first five minutes. Um, I think for the first five minutes, maybe the first seven and a half minutes, Kyle Dawkins is going to find himself in some really uncomfortable positions. And for two points, I'll bet that Eric Anders is able to uh, get him out of there. That said, if all things were even, the idea that Kyle that the second half of the fight is is total molasses and like not much fun to watch, and Kyle Dawkins dominates it. Um, and maybe gets a submission is if everything was even is probably what I would be, uh, you know what I would be going with. I don't know. Eric Anders had a little bit of a peak where he was starting to look good when he was fighting. Um, he had that fight against the two fights against what's his name, the British kickboxer. Um, name escapes me. I'm looking at his record. Oh wait, I'm looking at the wrong guy's record. It was um, Darren Stewart. Yeah, like Anders looked pretty good against Darren Stewart. But he's just uneven, and he's not getting any younger, right? How old is Erders? And, and he got to the sport. Thirty-six. He's thirty-five. Thirty-five, and he got to the sport late, um, so he's probably getting a sense of his ceiling. But he is—he is still a strong guy, and I just—I could, like I said, in the first half of the fight, I'll—I'll—I'll um, I'll, I'll gamble that he's—that uh, he's going to get Dawkins out of there. Yeah, I mean, I—I I, I don't. 
I don't agree with this one as much. I mean, if you look at Anders' record, neither, neither do I. I don't agree. Yeah. With this, with he's been looking like really bad for a little while now, right? He lost by like a minute thirty second anaconda to Andre Petroski in a grappling tournament recently, back in late August, right? Lost to Junior Park by split decision. Should have been a unanimous decision, I think, although he's the much bigger man than Junior Park, and I think he buzzed him once or twice. Andre Muniz, he lost to Bayonbar in the first round. Darren Stewart on, on his way, on Darren Stewart's way out of the UFC. He beat him. Um, and then Christoph Jotko, he lost the decision to. Jotko is a high-level fighter. Prior to that, Gerald Mirchard, he won a split decision that he should not have won. Um, and, and then if you look at the win prior to that, it's a really bad Vinicius Morero. Prior to that, three-fight losing streak. So, like... He's just not a quality fighter. It's almost kind of surprising that he still has a job in the UFC. I think he's probably going to lose it if he loses to Kyle Dawkins here. You mentioned that Kyle Dawkins folded in his last fight. Do you think it was more of a mental thing, or do you think he was legitimately concussed and dropped by Roman Delis? Because I thought he was just, like, dropped. I thought he was finished by the guy. I remember thinking, I, yeah, I thought that he got, I thought that he ate a body shot there. Um, I just... I thought it was a knee from the clinch to the head. It was, it, well, maybe it was. I thought it was a body knee, but it was okay. So, regardless. He just got um, wrecked. Um, here's the thing you're right that Eric Andrews is slow. Coincidentally, so is Kyle Dawkins, but Kyle Dawkins is probably the faster man in this matchup. He's going to have the sharper boxing, probably the faster hands. He's going to have the better Brazilian Jiu Jitsu game. And even though he might not be physically the stronger guy, he should have the technical wrestling edge. I know that the Dawkins brothers are going through kind of a tough time right now, but. I, I, I like uh, the Kyle Dawkins' chances here. If Kyle Dawkins was making his UFC debut on his second UFC fight, maybe he wasn't ready for this. But given his experience at this point, I think he's ready for just an aging way past his prime. And even in his prime, he was a medium fighter, Eric Anders. So I, I disagree with this one. I, I, I'm not sure that it's worth the two-point rider. I, I would say there's probably other opportunities yeah, on this Jesus card. Jesus Christ. That are All right, fine. It. I'm changing the pick. <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> I mean, I think I'm going to change it eventually. You, I mean, you're saying all the things that I knew, but I thought I would go with it anyway. So, but I'm, yeah, I'm now watch. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You're, I mean, you're right. I said if all things were even, I would pick Dawkins, and like, I, I think, I think you're right. I think that's too much. So I'm, I'm flipping that pick back to Dawkins. just like that, Nick. I, I was think it was, I was on the fence ahead of time, and and you like convinced me. All right, what? A, this is bullshit. All right, whatever. Um, you, you know so what? You need the points, Nick. I support it, and you know what? Watch this go the other way. Watch Eric oh, totally Anders will. eke out one of those totally shitty will. decisions that shouldn't have gone his way. Uh, Nick, next pick for me, and I think this is where things are getting a little bit tougher. Um, I'm looking at this matchup. I guess I'll take Yasmin Juragui to beat Estela Nunes. I'll be honest, Estela Nunes at these kind of odds, at, at basically three points, she might be worth the rider. The problem with Estela Nunes is she has zero takedown defense, and Juragui doesn't throw a lot of takedowns to be fair she didn't go for a single takedown in her, in her decision win in the UFC debut she trains with Entrom Jim she's really fast hand she's aggressive as hell she fights a high pace and it's still Nunez we saw in her last fight against Sam Hughes that a high pace can be her to her detriment even if takedowns aren't as much of a factor um Look, if, if Jurgui keeps it standing, Estelle Nunez is athletic. She, she can potch out. She can land some good strikes. She's, she's skilled there. So this fight is closer than the odds would suggest. But I tend to think the Entrom gym is going to have Jurgui getting takedowns. I tend to think Jurgui's high pace and, and uh, kind of cardio advantage should give her the edge. But this could be another two point, uh, three-point opportunity for you if you pick Estelle Nunez in this one, if you, if you ask me. Well, I'm not going to pick Estelle Nunez because... You took, damn right, Yasmin Yaragway. That's quite close uh, enough, right. I guess. What? Yeah, sure. Um, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. What else do we got? There's, 
There's a couple more underdog picks, but I'm... I think I'm going to go... I think I'm going to pick the main event. And, you know, I really like Stephen Thompson, but he is... You know, he's getting old. Um, his last couple of fights, he's not looked great. Now, he's not going to get... Why watch me talk myself out of my pick here. He's not going to get out-wrestled by, by Kevin Holland. Um, I don't think. But, oh, God, this is a really tough fight to pick. Um, I'm glad you were yeah. ready for this pick before you made it. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and Thompson, isn't quite, Thompson isn't a plus two. So I just, I just think Kevin Holland's youth and his activity and the fact that Thompson looks a little slower and a little less precise um, and, and doesn't seem as durable. He's not as elusive, I don't think, as he used to be. Um, and Holland, I think if Holland finds ways, you know, finds ways to get to guys, um, I, I wouldn't pick Holland against a lot of veterans, but I think we've got the, the, perf- it's per- it's the perfect timing for him to try to leverage his star Leverage leverage a win over Stephen Thompson to get a higher degree of stardom, and you know get a, a pay per view co main event or something. I just I think that I don't think that Thompson's got a lot of bullets left in the chamber, and he can't exploit Kevin Holland's maximum weakness. Yeah, I disagree with the. With your pick on this one, just looking back at Thompson's career, he doesn't lose to strikers who can't take him down. Joff Neal, he got a win over. That's impressive. Vincente Luque, he got a win over. That's also impressive. He dominated Vincente Luque and beat Anthony, him up. Pa- Anthony Pettis is a striker. That, that is true. And Anthony Pettis was losing the entire fight. And that's where the concern comes in in this matchup for me is Kevin Holland can land that right hand and finish him. Especially if Kevin Holland has got, for some reason, it's when Stephen Thompson's got you with your back to the fence. This is where. Somehow he's in the most danger. We saw it against Tyron Woodley where he got hurt a couple times. We saw it against Anthony Pettis. Um, you know, it's, it's in that position where, for some reason, there's more of a danger to him, even though usually when you have your back to the fence, you're at a disadvantage. Um, look, can Kevin Holland land a right hand? Absolutely. He's fast. He's very tall. I think he's got a, the height advantage in this matchup. But you know who Stephen Thompson does really well against? You know that Stephen Thompson's been saying no to fights, right, against grapplers and that sort of thing leading up to this. But he said yes to this one because he realizes that an aggressive striker is his best friend. That is the best matchup for him on paper. Vincente Luque is an aggressive striker. He pieced him up. He roughed him up. Joff Neal's an aggressive striker. He did really well against him. Completely one-sided fight. George Masvidal, aggressive striker. Jorge Masvidal. That was Jorge Masvidal's last loss before the, the, the kind of title run. And he pieced him up. He roughed him up, Nick. He beat that guy up. Now, Anthony Pettis, granted, landed that, that lucky shot. Darren Till walked away with a pretty shitty decision. Those anomalies can happen, but the way that Gilbert Burns and Muhammad, Bilal Muhammad downed him and, and kept top position and, and were able to just drown him in the grappling department, Kevin Holland doesn't have the skills to do that. And Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns happen to be like top flight elite welterweights. Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad will ha- would have a field day against Kevin Holland. They would do just about whatever they wanted to him in the grappling department, right? They would out-wrestle him like a lot of those middleweights did before he left 185. Um I think Stephen Thompson should do well here. He's the shorter man, and that's a little bit of a concern considering I'm favoring him, but he does really well against guys that are going to give him counter-opportunities, and Kevin Holland should give him counter-opportunities. Um, can Kevin Holland land a right hand? Yes. Can this be a really close fight that could go either way where Kevin Holland edges him? Yeah. 
Could Stephen Thompson really be past it to the point where he loses this matchup? Absolutely. But I'm gonna I think I'm gonna edge Stephen Thompson, who does really well in these matchups, and he's usually coming in as an underdog at times after a couple of losses um in these situations, and he always comes through against these kinds of guys. Like I mentioned, Joff Neal, uh, you know, on a similar position, Vicente Luque uh in a similar position as Kevin Holland does now. So uh mm-hmm. I'm 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 favoring the the not at all streaking guy over the streaking up and comer who you know, has the uh, kind of a, the stam disadvantage in this one. Although I, I guess streaking is tricky because he just lost in the first round to Kamzat Shumayev. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those fights that for me, Father Time is undefeated. Uh, that. But you may, but you may be right. It worked. You're, what you're describing worked for Leona Machida until it didn't. True. Um, what you got? Oh, it's actually my pick next. In my in the next fight for me. So I'm looking at this matchup. I think a lot of the rest of these are, are hard to pick. I'm looking at this matchup between Tai Tuvasa and Sergei Pavlovich. Do I think that Tai Tuvasa is a bit too big of an underdog? Yeah, plus 170. Is it worth the rider? It probably is, man. Sergei Pavlovich is a human being. He can get caught. Um, but he his fundamental striking are pretty solid. He hits incredibly hard. He's a powerful, large, large man. He's a true, true heavyweight. You know, Tai Tuvasa is a true heavyweight, but in different terms, right? Um, tai Tuvasa is fast as hell. He's going to have the speed advantage. Um, I'm going to quickly look at this. I wouldn't be shocked to, to see Taito Ivasa having the reach advantage because he has these abnormally long arms. I'm quickly going to look at it here. Um, Taito Ivasa, 6'2", to Pavlovich is 6'3". Wow, Pavlovich has a huge reach advantage. i got to go with Pavlovich. All else being the same, I'm picking Pavlovich. I'm tempted at Taito Ivasa, plus 170. Like He has better odds than plus 170 to, to catch um, to catch Sergey Pavlovich, who, you know, let's remember, was TKO'd in the first round against Alistair Overeem in his UFC debut. That also happens to be his only loss in his career. Since then, he beat a couple of pretty shitty heavyweights, to be fair, and then Derek Lewis in his last one. Fuck it, I'll, do, I'll go two points on Taito Ivasa, Nick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the right on him because it couldn't hurt, but all else being the same, I'm edging Sergey Pavlovich slightly in this one. Hmm. <clears throat> Watch, you're going to land the underdog, and I'm going to lose all my underdog shots. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. All right, what do we have left here? Uh, A couple of of fights left. I... um, I don't have... I don't have any proof that... um, that Amanda Hivas is going to be able to stay on her feet against Tracy Cortez. I, I think... I think that Cortez should be able to get her to get her takedowns here. Um, I think it's as simple as that. Like, love Hivas. She's fun. She's charismatic. She's had some good, you know, some good wins. She's got wins against some higher level competition than Cortez does. But Cortez does that one thing really, really well. And I just, I don't, over three rounds, I look at Amanda Hivas' previous fights. I think about her background. And I don't. I you know I don't think she's the person that's going to be able to stalemate uh, Cortez's game. Yeah, I mean Amanda Hebas is a pretty like she's a really good jiu-jitsu player. Um, she has the okay wrestling, not great. Um, a lot of those head and arm, arm throws that we've seen uh, that we mostly see working in the women's divisions and, and apparently uh, sometimes in the men's heavyweight division. Um, I'm going to edge Amanda Hebas. I think striking wise, she. She might not be as clean as Cortez, who's kind of still developing in that area, but 
she does pack a little more firepower. She's pretty brave in there, and I don't think Cortez is likely to hurt her. I can see Cortez getting takedowns for sure, right? She's a really good wrestler, and that's really her her big her big kind of um, ace in ace in her ace in her hand. But she had a really close decision win over Justine Keish. Amanda Hibas is more crafty. She's more capable than Justine Keish. And to be fair, Justine Keish is a good fighter. Melissa Gatto is kind of like a poor woman's Amanda Hibas in that she doesn't have the UFC experience. Uh, she doesn't have that high-level training at American Top Team. Um, Hibas, we've seen lose where she has the chin disadvantage. We've seen her lose. Um, Caitlin Shkagan, you know, split decision that could have gone either way. Caitlin, you know how she does. We've seen this time and again. But I, I, you know, she hasn't lost to an opponent like Tracy Cortez yet, and Tracy Cortez hasn't leveled up to this point up until now. This is her first matchup. I need to see Tracy Cortez do the same thing she's been doing at a lower level to somebody like Amanda Hebos before picking her. So I'm going to disagree here, but it's a close matchup, and, and I could absolutely see myself being wrong. I just feel like somebody that does more damage versus somebody that gets more takedowns tends to win nowadays, which I think is how it should work. And I think Amanda Hebos will probably do a bit more damage. I think she'll be more crafty. Um, and uh, and I believe she has the height and reach advantage, which which would come in handy, I think, when they're standing. Let me see. No, actually, Tracy Cortez, a couple of inches taller. Mandy Ibas has an inch uh, reach advantage. Kind of surprised that uh, that that Cortez is taller. I'm curious to see them uh, stand in front of each other. But uh, I'm, again, I'm going to edge Amanda Hebos' way. She can, she, can, she can lose a really close decision, which is very possible here. She can get knocked out by a heavy hitter. Tracy Cortez is not a heavy hitter. Next matchup for me, I'm going to take. I guess I'll. I guess I'll take the. I guess I'll take the risk on Nico Price to beat Philip Rowe. Philip Rowe, you know, he's he's got some talent. He's really fast. He's really tall for the division. Um, he hits fairly hard. He's got power. He doesn't have the maturity. He doesn't have the experience, the craft, uh, on paper to beat a guy like Nico Price. But Nico Price hasn't been looking good in a while. He's the only guy that's had a really close competitive fight with. Uh, with Donald Cerrone in, in the last few years, right? Like a really a back-and-forth fight that easily could have gone either way ended up being a draw. That's not impressive for a guy that's supposed to be as dangerous as he is, for a guy that's really kind of as large as he is. Uh, lost to Michelle Pereira, which I guess is not much to be excited, uh, not, not much to be disappointed in. Lost to Vicente Luque. He is coming off of a win over Alex Oliveira, which I, I know isn't saying much, and he hasn't fought um, in a full year, actually, leading, leading up to this matchup. It's going to be a little bit more than a year. But uh, I'm, I'm going to take Nico Price here by, by, by a slight edge and assume that his craft is going gonna, is gonna to give him the edge. What's, uh, what's left? Just a Angie against uh, Emily Ducote? Or? Angie Ducote and Marcelo Rojo versus Francis Marshall. All right. Uh, people, the odds, odds makers seem to like Ducote here. I still feel like Angie's got more in the tank and has stuff not necessarily more in the tank than Dakota, but she's I don't think she's done, you know? Um I think she's still competitive and she still has fought such a such a murderer's row. Um, you know, she did get a win in her last fight, but the decision gods hate her. I mean I'm going back and forth on this. Ugh. I want Angie Hill to win, but I feel like uh I feel like she's the gatekeeper for Dakota and that Dakota's um, Cody's 28. Angie is what? Angie's 37. Yeah, as much as I believe that she's been a better fighter than her record shows, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Emily to Cody here to uh, to get it. Yeah, I mean this probably will be a competitive decision, but we've seen Angela Hill turn back these up and comers who've done well in Invicta and and are coming into the UFC and are supposed to be a big deal. 
um, she finds their holes. Emily Ducati has really good boxing. She's got really good takedown defense. She's faced some really good wrestlers in her career. And she's coming off of a win over Angela Hill's good friend uh, in, in her last matchup, um, Jessica Penne, right? Which, which, you know, probably motivates Angela a little bit. She got some intel on how Ducati feels in there. I think Ducati has a lot of the makings of a top 12, top 10 level fighter. But I got to go with Angela Hill's craft and experience. Angela, Angela Hill... Um, you know, it's not like she's going to be at a disadvantage standing up. It's going to be competitive, worst case for her there. And I don't think she's going to be easy to take down at all if Emily Ducati decides to take it that route. Not that Angela Hill is going to be getting takedowns here. Angie's a little bit taller. She's got an inch and a half of reach uh, over Ducati. She's got way, way more high-level experience. Is Ducati ready for this level? Um, I think there's a big gap, even though I know they're friends. There's a big gap between the skill level of uh, Jessica Penny at this point and Angela Hill. So I'm, I'm going to edge Angela Hill close decision here but there's a reason the odds are close and Emily Ducati seen as a like kind of a real up-and-coming prospect and Angela Hill once again getting disrespected by the odds makers um outside of that we have the Marcel Rojo Francis Marshall matchup Rojo is a brawler he's got some power Francis Marshall's a good wrestler um and he's kind of developing fighter decent stand-up himself I guess I'll edge ever so slightly Francis well this is Marshall. this is an extra um, pick this is an extra pick though. yeah 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 I know, I know this is an official pick this would be if something else falls out one of us picks this one up um, I'm going to edge slightly Francis Marshall just for the sake of kind of breaking down the fight. Um, I, know he's, I know he's only got five pro fights, but he's also got five uh, amateur wins, which you know, which is to his favor. I guess he's undefeated between his pro and amateur career. Marcel Rojo, though, has got like 20 fights, man. Like, even though he's not a great fighter, I know he's not anywhere close to like top-level UFC. He's still got significant advantage edge. Uh, sorry, Francis Marshall is actually 6-0 in the pros. Um Losing to Kyler Phillips, Charles Jordan, John Castaneda, right? These are really, really good opponents. But if you look at his win list, Victor Hugo Madrigal, who, you know, back in Kambach, um, hasn't got a win in the UFC yet. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna have to stick with Francis Marshall here to, to do well in his UFC debut, but easily could go the other way because of the experience gap. Uh, yeah, I mean the same as you. I'll, dive, I'll I'll get a stronger opinion on it if I have to. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, so uh-huh. good card. I mean, a good you know, good long card. I'm not gonna be able to watch it live. Um, going out of town, but it's uh, yeah. After I mean, after no UFC event last weekend, after a really just abysmal card the previous week, where the only fight worth watching was the main event, and the main event got canceled last minute. Um, I shouldn't say the only fight. Jack Dylan, Mike Delane is definitely worth watching. Um, you know, th- this is this is a nice breath of fresh air. Nick. I'm I'm into this card. There's prospects. There's no names. And if you look at it, like only the bottom two or three fights was I not immediately familiar with both fighters. Which to me, you know, th- this is a good sign. We've got some top level guys like Mateos Nicolau, Matt Schnell, Rafael Dos Anjos is on the card. Barbara, I mean, you know, some some good names. Jonathan Pierce, a, a streaking prospect. Uh, we've got Diakasi Johnson, Scott Holtzman is a decent prospect. Hermanson versus Dolides is a is a uh, is a pretty solid level middleweight fight. Definitely some stuff to look forward to here, man. Um, like Stephen Thompson, Kevin Holland is a high level fight. Taito Ivasa, Sergey Pavlovich is a top eight uh, heavyweight fight. Tracy Cortez and Hibas is a potential passing of the torch, uh, but but still a top level flyweight fight. Um, some really some really really good stuff on this card. I'm looking forward to it. My first pick was Mateus Nicolau over Matt Schnell. Second, I took Jonathan Pierce to beat Darren Elkins. Third, I took Scott Holtzman to beat Clay Guida. Fourth, Nathan Levy to beat Gennaro Valdez. My fifth pick was Yasmin Jurgui to beat Estela Nunez. Sixth, I took for two points Taito Ivasa to beat Sergey Pavlovich. 
Uh, seventh, I took Nico Price to beat Philip Rowe. Your first pick was Brian Barbarino over Rafael Desanios for three points. Second pick was Michael Johnson over Mark Diacase again for three points. Crazy odds on this one. Third pick for two points was Roman Delitz to beat Jack Hermanson. Your fourth pick was Kyle Dawkins to beat Eric Anders after I talked you out of your Eric Anders pick. Fifth pick for you was Kevin Holland to beat Stephen Thompson. We disagree on this one. Your sixth pick was Tracy Cortez to beat Amanda Hebus. We also disagreed on that one. Your seventh pick was Emily... Um, was it Emily Ducati? Yeah, Emily Ducati and uh, to beat Angela Hill, which I also disagreed with. And then we have that Francis Marshall over Marcelo Rojo kind of rider. We're going to see if that factors into our competition, Nick. Uh, look, again, really excited to watch some high-level MMA this weekend. I know you're not going to watch it live, but I hope you get to catch it at some point, buddy. Yeah, and then we've got, you know, the next pay-per-view on the 10th has kind of become a, I don't know. I mean, it's got good fights, but it doesn't feel like a pay-per-view any longer. Um, you got Jan Blachowicz no. against Magomed and Kalaev. That's not the fight I would have made. I would have done Glover, Jan, too. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I think that uh, Glover basically said, they basically offered him on Kalaev, and Glover was like, I don't want to fight on Kalaev on, on a couple weeks' notice. Like, I need time to prepare for an opponent like that. This is my last title shot in my career. Um, and, you know, was it a mistake by Glover? Probably not. The UFC likes to kind of push people around that way. If you don't respectfully decline I, with, with, you know, by bowing down to them, they're going to say, go fuck yourself, and, and as they just did to the previous champ. And now you have this weird situation where, where Jan Blachowicz might end up being the champion. Glover Teixeira beat Jan Blachowicz, and Glover Teixeira was beaten by uh, Yurik Prochaska. So Jan Blachowicz might be the third best and still the yeah. champion, which and is I so like, fucking weird. And I like Jan. Um, Me too. I, but so I like all those guys. I'm cl- I, I find Aklaev, I know that he's good. I know he's like a master of distance. I know he's a really smart guy in there he's not very excited i just haven't been like very excited to watch him fight like no I, he's a pretty low-paced fighter um not, but, not a, like not a whole lot remarkable happening in his fights and once in a while he'll get rocked and that's kind of the interesting thing that happens but yeah i, I agree with you we got patty biblet jared gordon which is a great matchup uh, i'm intrigued by it santiago Bonzanibio coming back against robbie lawler that'll be a firefight between two american top team fighters there until drake is de places that'll be an exciting Striking match: Bryce Mitchell, Ilya Taporia, super that's high the, level. That's the main, that's the that's the nerd main event right there. A hundred percent. I'm so excited about that one. Um, and then let me see anything else worth. Corantillo Hernandez is a fun banger. They're trying to bring back Shabazian. You got Rosenstrike against Chris Dawkins way down on in the, in the pre. Chris Curtis, Joaquin Buckley is going to be and exciting. And not not only that, they've got a gentleman's agreement not to shoot. Do they? Do they actually? Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I guess that's not surprising. Um, yeah, not, it's not like either guy is known for shooting. I could see Buckley going for takedowns. I think possibly. Buckley. Buckley tweeted. Buckley's like, I, we, let's, they basically going into it like wanting to orchestrate fight of the night. Yeah, this is going to be an exciting card. Uh, but can we quickly talk about Yuri Prochaska giving up the light heavyweight title because he's going to be injured? Who the fuck has ever heard of such a? Well, thing? he's gonna. I mean, he's gonna be out for at least a year. It's yeah, like, but you don't just give up that belt like that at the UFC's request, man. Like the UFC didn't. Re- the UFC didn't request. Oh, it, it sounds like they did. No, it he, sounds like they did they because said, they wanted to make this for the title. No, this they, is where they were to say the pay per view. What I heard was that Yuri's the first guy who said, "I'm going to be gone a long time. I'm going to vacate the title." He didn't. I, I, don't, I don't think Yuri wanted the interim that bullshit. The that that's what I heard. Like immediately afterwards, I believe that's what Ariel Hawani was reporting. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I would be surprised. It's possible Yuri is a is kind of an odd guy. It's just 
like it's insane to do that for the UFC because the UFC would really want this to happen because they want an actual title fight. They don't want to say interim championship belt between two top five contenders. They want to say, here's a title fight. And on paper, they seem to think, or maybe ESPN seems to think that that's going to sell more pay-per-views. I don't think it will, but, but you know, for Yuri to just give it up, what if it takes him eight months to recover? Like what if, what if he recovers quicker? Uh, maybe he gets off USADA and gets on some juice, although I feel like he's not the type of guy to do that and recovers much quicker, right? Like, this seems insane to me where we had TJ Dillashaw going into a title fight with one shoulder intact and this guy not only not only pulling out of the fight, which is totally fair, but giving up his fucking belt, man. That is insanity to me. I do hope that uh, Glover Teixeira gets a, a crack at the title, whoever wins it. Um, I, I'm intrigued by any of these matchups, but it, it's, it sucks that it's such a round robin where the title keeps changing hands. Like, it's guaranteed to change hands, right? Like... Like, it, nobody's defended it successfully. Correct me if I'm wrong. Although, sorry, Blahovich did defend it successfully against uh, Adesanya. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, not, it's not a good look for the light heavyweight division. It only makes John Jones feel that much more confident and that much better about the human being that he is, which isn't right. That man should not feel good about the human being that he is. He's a piece of shit of a human being. Come on, Nick. We both know this. Yeah, I mean, also, like, if Ankalaev ends up the top guy and no one can beat him, it'll be boring. Um, that is that is true, which we've anyway. seen before. These boring champs at the top of the division. Um, still, Ankalaev versus Prochaska, You know, you tend to think there's no way that can be boring, right? Even either Ankalaev <clears throat> has to get out of well, his Pro- shell. Pro- or Prochaska can't have a yeah. He can't have a boring fight. I, I think you're well, right. He's literally. Well, we'll see. We'll like we'll see what happens. Either you're going to pick up like ten more points on me because in theory you disagreed with like everything, like every single one of my picks. <laughs> it's just that they were. Good, good gambles to take. Like we'll see, we'll see if I end up eating more shit or if I catch up. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't disagree on the Michael Johnson pick, and then you ended up changing to agreeing with me on Kyle Dawkins. So I think those might be the, like the only two picks that we are on the same page on. You're right. A yeah. lot of disagreement here. Well, I mean, a lot of you know, I'm rolling the dice on three underdogs. Yeah. So, which I, I think I think you're definitely making the right call. Like, if I was in your position, I absolutely would have made uh, those same moves. And, and Nikolai, uh, it would have worked out for me. Let's see if it works out for you. <laughs> All right, my friend. I will catch you on the flip side. Looking forward to it, bud. Have a great week.